Welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Fasser, a.k.a. Coach Fass. Hey Thank you so much for joining me. Hey Today, he's back. The man, the myth, the legend, Dante Barti is joining us today to talk about game planning. This, however, is not your typical game planning session. It is not a particular instructional bit on a step-by-step process. This is philosophical. This is talking about ideas to generate and ways to look at your defense, how to conceptualize game planning, tying in the philosophy of what you do and what you need to know to how you play your defense. Dante uses a lot of examples. One that comes to mind, he talks about if you play a field and boundary defense, some ways to break down the opponent to match that philosophy, whereas if you match formations, how that changes and how he would do things differently. It's a really interesting conversation. A lot of the stuff on this topic, including stuff that I've done, is very much like, okay, we start here, we go here, and we follow that a little bit, but this becomes much more philosophical and and thinking outside the box and If you've ever heard Dante speak before, he's incredible, and he does his normal Dante thing. Dante will also be joining us this week on the Q&A podcast. We're switching formats for the rest of the year, at least until December, and Dante will be our first Q&A guest, so he will be back this Thursday with the pod to be released on Saturday morning for your listening pleasure and hopefully fulfilling your game planning needs. If you're new to the pod, once the football season starts, we go to a strict Q&A mode where I bring on a guest. We answer your questions for teams that you will be facing the following week. So we record on Thursday nights, release on Saturday morning. So you got to go a little bit ahead. But if you want to send us a question, go to linktree.com slash coachfast or just go to my Twitter account at coachfast. Click the link tree. Scroll down to where it says in-season Q&A podcast form. Pop a question in there and we will get to it. If you go to the Make Defense Great Again account, you can see the show lineup for the year. I don't usually release guests ahead of time, but I did this year and we have the heavy hitters coming out to answer all your questions to help you destroy the communist regime that is known as offense. Also, huge announcement. I am so excited about this. I am partnering with a company called Playback, which you can check out at getplayback.com over the years i've heard things like man i wish we could all watch games together man it would be great to have like a coach's room type of thing well playback has heard you and they have developed the technology and it is awesome i will have more details for you just follow me on twitter again at coach vass turn your notifications on i'm going to be doing a ton a ton of games you just go to get playback you create an account you add your tv subscription whatever ones you have It links it up and you can watch the game with me and I'm going to have guests. I can go ahead and announce this the first week of the season, week one, not week zero. I'm going to be doing Oregon versus Georgia with Brian Niedermeyer, former Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Miami assistant who has intimate knowledge of a lot of the coaches on those staffs. And we're going to break down the game live. We're going to be watching along. and, And the cool thing is you can control the volume. So if you get tired of us, you can turn us down. If you get tired of whoever's doing the game, you can turn them down. You can come up on stage and ask questions, probably do that during the commercials. The main purpose of this is educational. We will be breaking down the schemes, but we're going to keep it light. We're going to keep it fun. It will be entertaining. I promise it's not going to be dry or boring, but we will definitely be talking scheme because what the hell else am I going to do? 
And the best part for me is we're all watching at the same time. It's not one of these things where somebody's 30 seconds ahead. If you're watching in the room, we're all watching together. The technology is super smooth. I am actually getting my room, my personalized room today. So I will have more information for you, but I'm going to be on there all the time. I'm going to tell you, we're probably going to do the NFL opener. Sunday night football is going to be a, a, a must. One, maybe two college games every Saturday. I might even go head to head with the Manning cast. I know probably not a winning business model, but you know, some people want to learn the game. Some people want to hang out and actually talk ball. Just keep your eyes peeled on Twitter. I'll have announcements probably what probably before you end up listening to this podcast. I'm recording this early, early Tuesday morning. I'm opening up my room today. So you'll probably have more information. You'll probably see the tweet before you hear this, but nevertheless, go on Twitter. I'll pin the tweet and I want you to join me. And we're going to do some fun giveaways, give away a couple copies of Madden. I'm going to throw up a schedule. Somehow we'll have some sort of schedule. I got to figure that out so you can see what games will be there. I'll have different coaches all the time. And the best is it's free. It's free. You just go to getplayback.com, create an account. In fact, do it today. Throw in all your TV subscription information. So you're not trying to rush the morning of the kickoff. Throw it up in there. I may even do some high school games. We're going to get crazy. I'm really excited about this, and I have a feeling I'm going to be in those rooms a lot of the times. So come join me and hang out. Normal housekeeping stuff, I've already said it, but I got to say it again. At Coach Fast is the Twitter account, at MDJ Podcast for this show account. CoachFast.com is the website and all the other stuff. Just go to my link tree. I will be resuming the Tuesday night football show. I don't know the date off the top of my head. Whatever the first Tuesday night is after the first regular season game. (laughs) I don't know what date that is, but it will be. 8 p.m. that Tuesday night on YouTube. Again, linktree.com has all my links. When I started this podcast, I had like a website and like one or two things. Now I have 57 links. I don't even remember them, so I don't expect you to. So they're all in one place. Remember, if all else fails, just go to linktree.com slash coachvass. Or if you can't even remember that, just go to my Twitter account. It's in the bio. All right, it's showtime. Let's get into it, man. I am with my friend Dante Barty, defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach at Ottawa University in Ottawa, Kansas. Dante, thanks for joining me today. Fantastic. I'm excited for it. Yeah, man. So we're going to talk about game planning today. That's going to be our main topic. And in the pre-interview or whatever you want to call it, I was like, let's start with, you know, your philosophy and let's start with this. And I thought about it and I went, Let's just get right into it. So let, mm-hmm. let's do it. You get the film, yep. right? You sit down, you've and let's take it from the perspective where you finished grading. Let's say you finished grading your last game. Okay. And you pop on that film. And just for perspective, before actually before we get into that, just for perspective, because I think a lot of guys, they hear college. You know, they think, oh, this this guy, he has all these people around him. And, you know, I can't do what he does because he has way more support staff. So just for reference, before we start, how many coaches do you have on your side of the ball? I have three. You have three. Including myself. Including myself. Three, so three including yourself. Yes, so that's a that's a good, that's an average high school staff, middle middle America high school staff, three guys. My first coaching job. It was me, 
a guy that never really coached before. His son was on the team. Great dude, but I don't know if he'd ever coached. I think it was his first year coaching. Another guy who was the head coach, who was kind of would kind of hang out. And then our offensive coordinator was our D-line coach. And if you mm-hmm. scheduled too much D-line individual, it would turn into O-line individual. Mm-hmm. So that was my first gig. So I just want to kind of get that uh, squared away to begin with because – like, especially when you talk about these sort of things where we might get into like how you assign assistance to help you, mm-hmm. people kind of tune out and they said, oh, yeah, it'd be great to learn how this guy does this. But I couldn't mimic that because mm-hmm. I don't have as many mm-hmm. guys on staff or whatever. So I want to kind of take yeah. that out and or put that yeah. out in the open to begin with. All right. Real quick, as I put those in the side real quick, the largest staff I've ever been a part of was actually at Perry High School. It's the most people I've ever been a part of. So uh, when I was at Upper Iowa University, it was uh, two other full-time coaches and one GA. Um, when I was at uh, Cal Berkeley, we only had myself, another GA, and another QC. And we only had four guys, a QC and four guys on staff on defense. And at Southern Miss, it was only myself as a QC and one GA and then the staff. So I've always been a part of um, since I started coaching, except for my first experience at Perry High School, small staffs, right? Smaller, certainly smaller than average for any university staff um, I've been a part of, you know. And so the work works. Um, you just got to do it, in my opinion. So, anyways. All right. So let's 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 talk about that. Let's talk about you and you're you're setting down. You have yes. put the last game to bed. Now I know, I don't know if every coach does this, but I I assume most do. You peek at the game, maybe thir- if you're if you're coaching high school ball, maybe Thursday night after you've kind of finished your call sheet, mm-hmm. you maybe put the game on, or you know you peek when you get the exchange. I mean, a lot of guys they yeah. do pool exchanges now or whatever. You kind of peek or so, but so maybe you've watched an hour, maybe on the bus ride home or plane ride home, and you checked a little bit. But let's just say you're done you put the last game to bed and you sit down and you pick up that remote or your keyboard or whatever you use and you're getting ready to start and you're ready to roll what are you doing first how are you doing that so the first thing i personally like to do and i found work for me is i watch all the games that um i feel are relevant in terms of like uh structure without any um any data involved so I turn everything off and I watch it straight through right now. I'll rewind and I'll fast forward, et cetera, et cetera. But I watch all the games without the data because what happens sometimes um, and I'm, I'm a data like analytical dude. Right. But whether you're an anal- uh, like an analytical guy or you're not, what happens is all that data. Right. You get lost in those numbers. And as a coordinator, as a strategist, you have to have a feel, and I don't like using the term feel. So when I mean feel, I don't mean like a feeling that you have. You have to have a philosophy about how they're playing, right? So just like you have a philosophy about how you play, I think that's best when you turn the tape on and you take the time to watch it. And the reason I say that as well is too many times because we're involved with the numbers, we skip over very important data, right? Because we're like, okay, this is only in third downs. This is only uh, against these certain sets, or this is only uh, in red zones. I don't want to watch it right now, which I completely understand, right? And it's very important when you compartmentalize, right, the entire framework of a team that you're playing. But to get like that aerial view as a coordinator, as the guy who has to call it, the first thing I'm going to do is watch it without any of that. 
because I want to know what the coordinator is calling and how they're calling it. Right. Because you're not just working against those players on the field. You're working against the coordinator. So I'm going to watch as many games as we've decided to look at um, all the way through. Right. Um, that's my first. Now, do you have a do you have a rewind limit? Because I, I had to put myself on a I would never watch a play more than three times. And I've actually I've actually said if you want to find out the base, a, a team's base plays the quickest way is go to the blowout. Go to when the subs yes. are in because they're only mm-hmm. going to run their base play. So if you Thanks want another top mm-hmm. five runs without any data, go to, go find a game where they won and go, go watch like the last 25 plays and you'll get a feel for it if they're in that situation. But you put yourself on a rewind limit. You know, um, I have and I haven't. So when I've had time, right, like if you have the time of the day or you're in a situation where you're not teaching or you don't have other things going on, you can literally watch the tape as long as you want. There are guys at multiple levels that literally watch the tape with whether it's nothing on or limited data from sunup to sundown because that's all they do in the summer, right? And so for maybe bigger programs – that's what they're doing in the summertime, right? For a high school program who may not have that time or a smaller program, right? I would say that you want to limit yourself to watching that game maybe twice, right? Through each the first time, okay? Um, But that's kind of my perspective. That way you get an idea of the coordinator and that way you get an idea of like the players, right? Because things tend to stand out more when you're just watching it, like that dude caught the ball a lot. They're throwing it to him, which sounds like, well, let's look at the analytics. What are we talking about? And trust me, I look at the analytics, but when you get caught in the weeds, you lose the impact. And a lot of guys don't go back to that impact. When the bullets are flying, who's the guy throwing the ball to? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Where, what offensive line do they want to block with? Well, guys, I know we have things like PFF, yada, 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 but like, Who's the dude who's moving people around? Because that's what the players are seeing, and that's what the data analysis that you have to make in-game, right? So that's the first thing I do. The second thing that I would do um, with the data I have is sometimes I've had to make it myself. Most of the time I've had to make it myself. Um, Sometimes, you know, it's made for you, depending on where you're at, is I'll go through form hits, Right. And so to give perspective on what formation hit charts are, right, you get data about what the formation structures are. In my opinion, what is important is not, and I'm going to say this again, it's not how many times do they run ace gun strong versus ace gun weak versus double flex, blah, blah, blah. No. It's an 11 personnel. How do you compartmentalize when they have Y on the ball with the back two or away? Why off the ball with the back two or away? Is there any alignment changes with the back or with the the why that matter, right? And then how do they affect break of the formation, right? When I mean broken formation, I define that as when an 11 personnel set goes to a 10 personnel set. So two by two with Y in the core goes by two by two without Y in the core, right? When a 12 personnel or 21 personnel set goes smaller to an 11 personnel set. Right. And the reason that's important for me as a coordinator is because in a lot of systems that I've ran in, you're either personnel dependent or you're personnel hindered. Right. And so either you're subbing personnel because you can. Right. I got bigger guys that I want to play versus 12. 
I got bigger guys I want to play versus 21, and then I want to get smaller as they get small. Or I may be in a situation like a lot of high schools are where I got the only 11 dudes on the grass, and I got one kid I might be able to sub if someone else is dying on the football field, right? But either way, you have to think about the quote-unquote compartmentalize the outliers for your defensive system. So I'll give an example. Let's say you're a big one high, like man free rat in the whole team, right? So you're playing single safety defense. You could be playing one funnel. You could be playing a key concept. It's irrelevant to me. Okay. Right. Let's say you're really big into matching personnel, which a lot of people are, right? So you're a matchup team. Well, if there are 12 personnel, 21 personnel team, right? And you're matching personnel, so you're getting in your base 3-4, your bigger personnel, and they break the formation to an 11 personnel set. you got to know who goes and takes the break of that formation, which human being, and how does that affect the eye control for everyone else, right? Same thing. You're in nickel grouping, and they break it to a 10 personnel formation. Who's going to take the break of that formation? Right. That's just one example. You know, uh, I can give a myriad of other examples. And so for me, those externalities become important. And that changes from system to system. Let's say you're a big creeper or odd space run fit team. You think about the leverages to like nub flanks. Right. You think about slot formations, things that cause your defense issues. When you watch it, when you do form hits, the idea is not to say, I looked at every why on, why off, yada, yada, yada. It's, I found the outliers that I know matter in my system. How am I going to handle them? Right. Like you mentioned simulators, a big one that people, because a lot of people are doing that, is a lot of that stuff is great, especially if you're bringing field pressures, even inside backers coming from the field in the middle. But if you're dropping your boundary in, you get two speed to the boundary, what and your 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 seam flat players are the end. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to play yeah. depth and divider cover three and and play true zone call? Or are you going to try? Are you going to try and match it? Are you going to take your end and drop him out to one and have the backer wall too? What mm-hmm. you know? What are you going to do? There's, there's a multitude of things you can do, right? And a lot of that comes down to you know, build, but philosophically, what are the tools in your defense? Like, notice I haven't talked at all about you know. I gave an example of a call. But I, I won't talk a whole lot about, like, we play this defense, and so this is what we do. Because that, to me, is not what the conversation is about, right? Yeah. Um, the conversation is about with the tools that you have, how do you think strategically? And then how do you that mend that to the task level day-to-day? Like, I need to get my players to get in and out of these calls and in and out of these systems. That is the coordinator is what you need to do, right, in my opinion. And then how do you handle the four and you know the four for 40 stuff, which is what we're talking about, those outliers within your system. Go over that real quick, because I know you're, re- you're referencing Brian Vaughn yeah, uh, shout on out the to podcast Vaughn. I did with him. I believe it was at the end of 2020. We talked about this and he said this and I, I grabbed onto it. Can you go ahead and say that again? The idea I got from him, but, you know, the idea is this, right? You got teams that will run like, perfect examples like first script first series of a game a guy might run his script and it might be uh, five different formations in a five or six play drive right whatever right he's running a different formation every single time right and he may only run that in his first script and then he's going to get out of it and so if it's not something he runs consistently right when you're looking at your game plan you're looking at your film you're like what are those externalities 
FIB. Let's say they're not a big FIB team unless they run fastball, right? And they're in fastball, and every time it's FIB zone read with a, a quick screen to the a key screen to the perimeter, right? Because you're a man match, and you know you're a man match defense. So you know most of the time you're matching personnel. You're gonna have to run across the field. It's gonna be a cluster. So you might need calls within your system. For example, in that same man match call, you may make the decision to have a stay call, which is guys, we're not matching up because all we need to do is survive that down. Now, when I say survive the down, I think too many people think, well, we'll just play like blanket defense and like let it happen, happen. That's not what we mean, right? What we mean is we might not be in the best situational um, or philosophical mechanic in our defense, but we're still sound. So it's not like I left everybody in the field and they're all to the boundary, but we're surviving the down. So we're not going to remove anybody to the boundary because they're going to throw the key screen for 40 times. Right. Yeah. So that four for 40 rule means like, how do we do something that sound like, and it works within your system. And then if they go back to it over and over and over and over again, do you have calls within your system that you can run that are adaptable enough and have enough choices to get them out of it. Because when, uh, you know, too many times I've heard this coach in high school ball and college ball, they're like, Oh, coach they only ran that three times on tape. And then they ran it like 10 times versus us. Yeah. Cause we sucked. Against it's like, you we were the only one that that ever happened to. Right. Well, that's not the case. Like that is, that is a fallacy, like a fallacy of terms guys. That's usually because they found a structure within your system. And then you need to go back in the offseason and evaluate those structures and see what answers you may or may not have and what works within your pedagogy, right? Example, mid four, first thing a team might go against mid four is if they're a mid four team, they might go FIB three by one. Why? Because they have a bunch of overhang human beings to the wide side of the football field and their big people are into the boundary. So you may have issues there. C area issues in mint four are an example. You're a mint team. You got an automatic C area problem, right? Now, if they're a Y off and CA style team, they may decide to run everything as Y on that game. You're like, why do they do that? Well, that's because philosophically your defense has a weakness and everybody's does too many times. We're too dogmatic in our view as football coaches. And so I try not to be that way. Right. So they're like, well, you know what? We do what we do. We run what we run. Yada, yada, yada. Well, that's not it because that doesn't handle the issue. Offenses are too good now and they're too flexible. Exactly. And at the same time, you can't be, particularly at the high school and small college level, okay, you can't be, well, we're going to run everything. Where You are not those large institutions, right? Just like you're not the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, so you can't run your company that way. So now you have to find a middle ground and that requires more nuance within your system. So you can find out, which is again, why do I, why I like to watch the tape without anything on it first, because you'll, you'll probably find out is that this offensive coordinator has a tendency like they all do just like we do. They're like, okay, um, they get a first down and then they're in their 50 yard line. It's a shot time. Right. And so they're going to go fastball play action pass shot and they're going to run like deep choice right? Or cross country, something like that, right? Or, hey, you know what? In four down territory, they go up tempo every third down and manageable. And you can watch that more based on like watching the tape than you do through the analytics. Cause you're like, you're looking through the analytics and you have to do a bunch of filtering to find that out. 
when I could just watch the tape and I'll, like see the scoreboard and then know, oh, it's shoot, it's third down and whatever. And every time they're going up tempo FIB inside zone bubble and then bubbling up. So, right. When you lose, you lose the patterns too. When you, when you talk about, um, if you go too fast to the date, I mean, there's a lot of things that you lose that you, you lose. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I remember we played a team and, uh, one of the coaches said to me, you know, I noticed a tendency where they were just going run left, run, right, run left, run, right. <laughs> and I went really. And I thought, why didn't I pick up on that? Oh, why didn't I pick up on that? Is because I was pressed for time and I went straight to the cutups. And that is yep. one thing. Huddle Assist a is a wonderful program. And we'll do, if you have a small staff, does wonders for you. But it's there to shorten the time that you have to do things. That does not mean that you need to sort everything by formation when you start watching. Right. That is, and, and I'm saying this because guilty as charged. When I first got that, I was like, oh man, I can go right to the, I can go right to the hit chart. No, don't do that because you lose. I'm not, I'm not as adverse to the word feel as Dante is, but like you lose some, you want to talk about losing some big picture stuff. When I couldn't recognize that they were literally going run left, run right, run left, run right, run left, run right. Or there was a team we played, a very famous team, the remaining nameless. They only run wide plays to their sideline because they hold the ever-living you-know-what out of you. And and when it goes to their sideline, especially in home games, it doesn't get called. Somebody recognized that because of the way they were watching the film. I didn't because I went to do it a different way. And simple stuff. You know, so you always got to start there. Take the big picture. And, you know, it's amazing you said that because I, I will name who the one who told me. We were playing a team in um, a wing T team, a very famous, very good wing T team. When I was coaching at Perry, which is in Chandler, a very, very good one. And my head coach, Preston Jones, at the time kept saying, Dante, watch to see their wing T team. Watch to see they're running to their bench. And in the mind, like I'm going to the hit chart, stuff like that. He's like, they're running to their bench. Now he's coaching. He's the offensive coordinator. He's calling the offense. He's like, they're running to their bench. And he was a, he was a, a guy who'd been in wing T system. He's like, Dante, they're running their bench because the head coach is calling the offense from the sideline. So he can see what's happening. And I remember that game, we barely won. And then we played them in the playoffs. And lo and behold, I called everything to their bench and they ran everything to their bench. And we hit him in the face, right? But I would have never, like, I... That's not what we do. We're not offensive coordinators. Right? And so you miss those things when you don't go through the tape without that type of framework. So after I do that, right, after I go through that process and I do... Well, before, you, form- before you do that, let me ask you a quick question. Mm-hmm. So I put myself on restrictions. I, I put myself on don't watch the play more than three times. Um, and then no typing. But I and, and I try to take a personnel view at that point. I'm if any if all mm-hmm. else is equal, especially if I if I have huddle assist where I know the formations are done, mm-hmm. I'll get to that. That that that's easy to do. But I'm trying to see not only who do we got to stop, but who are we who can we take advantage of, especially up front on third down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you? And I and I usually take a piece of paper and I split it up. I do like the personnel. I do tips, tells, reminders, yep. anything I see, guys off the ball, yep. stuff like that. 
And then I put random ideas and half of them, three quarters of them get scratched out because it's just random stuff. I watched yeah. five plays and I'm like, I've got it. I know how we're going to stop them. Like, uh, like an idiot, but. So I, I do that in reverse and here's why. Um, I look at structures first and the reason for me is a lot of that's dependent on the type of philosophy you have on your defense. Perfect example, right? I was at the place I was at Perry High School many years ago. I was a matchup football team. So FIB meant nothing to me. I didn't have a bunch of FIB checks. We were a left-right team. And so it was not field boundary. It was not, it was literally left, right safety, right? Free, that became strong safety, free safety, weak safety after the declaration. And because of the way we played, right? I cared less about the field dimensions, right? So what that meant is that the structures that I looked at were thought of differently, right? That would be very different if I was a field boundary odd structured team, for example. Very, very differently. Like many teams are, right? Many teams are field boundary football teams. You either got to, one, handle all the the formation issues, or two, you have to figure out, okay, how is the offense manipulating my angles in relation to the grass, right? Or three, I got to say I don't really care but then every single time they go FIB, you're just hold on, you see your pants, right? And so you either got to figure out how you play calls out or how you check calls. So for me, I look at structures in relation to the system that I play and the types of calls that are already in my defense that I'm going to run. Because one thing I am like, I'm really big on as a coordinator and I always have been is I hate and I don't use the word hate a lot, but I hate drawing shit in the dirt on a, on a, you know, on a a Saturday or Sunday for a high school coach, even maybe even later or on a, you know, after, after a game on a Sunday or Monday as a college coach, I don't come from the philosophy of we like look at a playbook and say, that looks like a really cool blitz. Let's run it. That looks like a really cool concept. Let's run it. Right. It's how do I make, you know, quote unquote, the same things look different, different things look the same. But pedagogically, if I can't fix it as an issue, like I got a problem because at the end of the day, like I have to be able to give information to my players and that information gets built throughout things like fall camp, the summer, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not going to like change a bunch of rules all of a sudden. I don't I don't I don't work that way. There are guys that do work that way. They do do that. Right. Because they want to, you know, there's two methods. One, they're like, well, I know what stops this. So I want to call this and I want to work this way. The second methodology is like, well, you know what? Um, I don't really have a system. I have a grab bag of defenses. I play defenses, not defense. Right. And so, like, I'm looking and saying, I really like this third down pressure. I really like that third down pressure. I really like this front. I really like that front. And I'm not putting it together within the pedagogy of my system. The teaching. Either way, in my opinion, it's the same dogmatic type of double-edged sword. One's an over-romanticization that says, like, more is more. Because if I have more, then I have the exact tool that I need at the exact time at the exact same place. The other is a reduction. It's a form of reductionism. 
right? Because it's saying, well, you know what? We have this kind of grab bag worth of stuff and we can all reduce it to like these things. I don't work that way. I don't work that way as a teacher and I don't work that way as a, a play caller because uh, I can't fix it. I can't fix it. How do I fix it? I might, I might get them. I might get them. But if they're worth their salt, which I always assume they are, right? I always assume they're worth their salt. At some time, I'm going to get got. And the, I think the prime example is like the, the thing that makes offensive coordinators in the NFL so deadly are that they usually know the defensive system as just as well as not the better than the defensive coordinators do that they're playing against. And that, while that sounds like, well, that's because they all run the same thing, that has a lot to do with the fact that the pedagogical similarities, because they know their, their jobs are on the line all the time, right, create consistency. Because they got to be able to fix it on defense and on offense. So that, to me, is very important. Like, I philosophically, like, you want to talk philosophy, I don't just, like, draw pressures, like, I'm not just going to drop a new pressure pattern. I don't do that. Okay. So yeah, I was kind of the first way because not because I, well, I don't know if it was so much of like a choice, but we played so many different types of offenses yeah. that I didn't have a choice. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing split veered or double wing to single wing to air raid to, you know, offenses that most people don't even know. They've never seen like, Northern California, two back unbalanced fly sweep team. Split yep. backs. We're talking split backs. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Raise your hand if you've seen that outside of California, Northern California. I'll even give you Northern California. It's yep. very rare. I mean, so we had to build a structure that was like, could handle all that stuff. Correct. See, building a structure, yeah. right, having a structure that handles those things and having those answers is very different in my mind from trying to come up with random answers. Right. And sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Like, sometimes you have to. Like sometimes you're forced to make a to make some form of in season adjustment. But you want it to be an adjustment, not a pedagogical change in your defense. I bet my bottom dollar, right? Whether it was the first season or as you continued to grow and play these offenses, you had a system by which you could get in and out of the different variables, and you could make it make sense to the players. Oh, for sure. I always laugh that at these guys that take calls. They, they, they take defenses from other coaches, and yes. they don't rename them. And I'm bad. And this is coming from a guy who's probably the worst at naming stuff. Like, naming stuff, and, and, and I'm even worse at signaling. But, like, they'll just take stuff and just throw it in the defense. And I know it's kind of like a tip of the cap to the person that created it. But, like, some of the best coaches, again, I'm not here to harp. I, I don't like talking spicy about defensive coaches in public, even when they deserve it. But and I'm talking some of the best coaches in football that yeah. you would be shocked. Just take stuff from other people and don't even bother putting it and renaming it. Because some of the smartest people in the world learn by memorization. And so mm-hmm. to them, they're like, well, it's just this. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but to everybody else, that doesn't mean anything. You know, and like you're not, you're not but, providing a framework by which to because what is at the end of the day right we talk about coaches thinking they know everything and then not being able to translate to the players that is in my opinion a tactical to tat like i've talked about it at a few uh, clinics before talk about task tactical and strategic level thinking 
right? In my opinion, having a strategy like strategic global thinking is have a philosophy and framework with how you play your systems. Tactics are like when you have a lot of tools, like, hey, I got all these like calls. Here are these calls, right? The calls have to work within the system and philosophy in which you're using. And sometimes that changes, right? That's okay. That's good philosophical building in my opinion. I have the right to change my mind, right? But at the task level, what you're getting the player to accomplish needs to work across frameworks to the best of its ability. And when it doesn't, when the outliers occur, you have to find ways in practice and how you practice on how you prep and how you call it to make it make enough sense that when you call it, the players aren't all over the place. And it better be worth it. Jumping in real quick. Exactly. It must have value. We had we anybody that's ever heard anything that i've ever done i usually bring this up we we ran the tcu system yeah and we had a we had a way to put everything into those buckets correct but when we started running some of the tight front stuff okay we played our back eight or our back seven rather to run strength because we played a bunch of tight end based stuff and then when i went to clovis we played a bunch of passing strength stuff so we did it the other way we played the passing strength but our front and our back end were always separate but then all of a sudden we're playing the tight front stuff and we're playing multiple levels of stuff and we're bringing these simulateds where it's like okay if the backs are stacked you're gonna line up a certain way but if the backs are stacked you're gonna run this pressure and if the backs are split you're gonna run this pressure there's no way to tcu that or gary patterson that no. and so i had to make that decision and the kids were like oh we have to i'm like oh poor you cool you have to memorize a call like everyone else in america you like you have to memorize two calls and the, it was like i blew the kids mind they had to memorize two things but it was one of those things that's like this is worth it but part of what you're talking about about having these tools is is it worth it like there's right. stuff that we do, we did, it was so complicated, but like, it was worth it. Like our whole, like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get schematic here too deep into yeah. this part of it, but like our edge pressure, too deep man match sim stuff. Yeah, We did every single bit of the detail in that. Cause that was what we hung our hat on a lot of work. And right. it worked for us a lot of stuff yes. at that time. But then there's other stuff. It's like, we taught it like street ball. Like I never taught cutting rats why because we never we played man free as a way to sit on stick routes on third five and, ha- and play good run defense that's all See, we used it for people weren't running crosses and people weren't and that's the other thing is defend what you see everybody's like oh you have to cut crossers in one well if you're not playing teams that run mesh or shallow why play it like street ball if you're gonna play it five percent of the time why yep i i do the same thing anyway and so Anyways, so getting getting to that point philosophically, right? Within your um, you're watching the tape and then going through like my form hits, right? Which for me are structured around a combination of personnel groupings and then like I said, structures and pieces, right? Those structures and pieces tend to be based on the backfield set. They tend and when I mean backfield, I mean the YT relationship. Right. Um, There's different methodologies that can be used in terms of wordage. Some people say together and apart, tilted and divided. Right. The also when you get into bigger groupings, you can have one highway relay. There's there's a lot more to do with the location vertically of the Y. Right. I like um, we used to use uh, where I was at one place. Seal sniff and snug was probably one of the better ones that I, I liked. 
you know, uh, child alignment versus deep alignment versus mid alignment, et cetera, et cetera, right? I don't get deep into those weeds when I do the form hit stuff. Right. Because one of the things I found is much like a player when you're talking to a player, when you get too far ahead, you lose sight of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And you get nowhere. It's like trying to learn how to do um, long division before knowing how to do addition and subtraction. And your game plan becomes incoherent. That was one thing I talk about a lot is we waited to do down a distance longer than most people Mm -hmm. because. When I did it off the bat, what ended up happening is I had this sick ass second and long plan, second and 10 plus plan. And it was great, except I looked at the last game and there were two second and 10 pluses because they were an I team. So they weren't really getting into second long. They were running power and getting three yards. And I went and then I looked at it versus the rest of my calls. And I'm like, this is incongruent with what's going on. And this is dumb. Like, that's a better. That's a That's a. Uh, an easier way to say it. this is just not this doesn't make any sense and so it has no mm-hmm. light bulb hey maybe i shouldn't be doing this but yes right. to your point exactly right and so i try not to get in myself in that process right we've all probably heard nick Saban talk about the process and what is the process for the players and the process for the coaches i think one of the things that gets lost too is when like the process doesn't mean just your process. That's another like dogma. Like we do our process. And so this is how we do it. No, it's not that. Now I would say that having consistency and granularity within your process is fairly, you know, very important. What is also important is that you're on, you know, obviously taking, having the humility to take from others and their processes and their ideas and their concepts. And you probably heard from guys like Kush Saban and Belichick and, those are the light that the number one reason that they're able to uh, be on top is because they're able to change. They're the ones changing. They're the ones growing. Watch their systems. Watch their actual systems, right? Talking, you know, I'm going to use a colloquial. Saying Sabanese uh, in 2011, 2015, and 2021 are not the same. Not even close. Not even, not even remotely close. And so the guys who are willing to adapt and change and not just through mimicry, right, but through the actual process by which they're using their like critical skills to adapt their systems and and grow and learn. Right. Those are the ones who are staying ahead. In my opinion, that takes a lot of time. You know, Dave Aranda is another. I'm just throwing examples. There's plenty of guys. Mike McDaniel is one in the NFL. Mike Kafka. Like I can I can go over and over. You mean your brother, Mike McDaniel? Yeah. I've, I said yeah, I, multiple times I haven't seen you and Mike in the same place. Yeah. So I believe oh, yeah. I believe I believe there's a relation there. There might be somewhere. But, but, you know but I mean? your like, point oh, with Saban, yeah. you know, everybody says, "Oh, he's complaining." No, no, no. He's warning you. When he yeah. talked about the spread, and he said, "Is this what football?" And I don't want to get too far off on this, but yeah. he said, "Is this what you want football to be?" And everybody said, "Yeah." And he went. Okay, and then he put together the best RPO offense in the history of the game. Yeah, exactly. But the NIL, he's like, is this what you want it to be? Okay. You know, and and I so many guys I I don't like I don't like talking bad about coaches on on coach stuff, but and this this is against all this is across all sports. In fact, I noticed this from soccer first was these coaches that become cutting edge and I'll say I'll say somebody who's turned it around, Chip Kelly. 
So Chip mm-hmm. Kelly was ahead of the curve. And he was awesome. And then I think he became a slave to his own creation. Mm-hmm. And people took what he did and they made it better. But he was still doing Chip Kelly things. And I may be wrong. There may be some Eagles or Niners fans that are like, you're wrong. Or some Oregon um, UCLA fans that are like, that's not true. But but he did his thing and people took it and made it better and went for, I think, went further than him. But and he woke up one day and went, I got to change. And he's running like 13 personnel at UCLA, like not going oh, super fast all the time. Playing against it, it's terrible. Makes it, oh, that's right. You were a cow. Um, yeah. I didn't know if he made I the will ch- say, I will say, without a doubt, without a doubt, unequivocally, it's funny you say that, the most complex and hardest offense from a personnel structural perspective to handle. That is just ridiculous. Which is interesting because he wasn't like that before. It was like 10 yeah. personnel. I mean, and again, maybe I'm oversimplifying, but no, I remember here. being 10 and 11 personnel. We're going to go as fast as possible. And that was King. <laughs> but he's a guy who who was ahead of the curve, then got behind the curve, then said, hey, he at some point had an epiphany. And I didn't I didn't know he had made the change while you were still a cow. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but, yeah. he, but there are guys that were made nameless that were ahead of the curve and they, they've yeah. not changed. There are, there's a, there's a famous offensive guy, but a cutting edge offense. And if you were to watch it today, it looks exactly the same. And he, he won titles with it and he got fired with it and mm-hmm. the best change. So sorry, mm-hmm. a, a, a typical right. derail on my part. So you, you've gone past the first watch. You've looked at the formation hit charts. Yeah. So the next thing I'm going to do, right, mm-hmm. is I'm going to look at, I'm going to take a little bit closer look. And particularly, I think it's important in high school. I think some of it is also really important when it comes to, like, depending on the type of defenses you play, so philosophically speaking. But I look at what uh, what's called a run hit chart next, right? Um, now, I don't think that all the data analytics are necessarily what I need, right? What I need to know is once I figure out those tilted divided sets and how often they're occurring, right? What runs are happening when the Y is off and the back's away? What happens when the Y is off and the back's too? Is tilted staying tilted? Is divided staying divided, right? And so what do I mean like that? A, a perfect example would be a tilted backfield set and every single time they're running inside zone cut, so they're cutting back to the same side where the Y is, right? And they're running same side power. And then every time it's divided, it's either split zone or counter, right? So with that mindset, if I know tilted, stay and tilted, divide, stay and divided, right? I can do things in relation to the non-movable objects because I think kind of getting to the point about change. I think what gets really lost within that is changing without having an understanding of like the arithmetic and geometry of football, right? So like example. You're a split safety football team. You're playing split safety defense. The the traditional thought process is you're going to have to do something to get a perimeter player to take some form of gap, right? Whether that's a corner, a safety from the roof, or an overhang you split out. doesn't matter, right? you got to get a perimeter player. Well, what happens when they're running away from where you're inserting that perimeter player on the defense? Well, you got to, particularly on gap runs, they're changing where the move, the non-movable object is going from one side to the other, a pulling guard, for example. But you have to cross the center line of the, of the offense. There's a lot of different ways to do it, guys. You can play odd front structure, and the nose can play the front side half. You know, uh, Iowa State, you know. One you of know my people, answer. You know my answer. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, you know one it? One of the best, uh, probably either to gate slash torch or to cross the center line for defensive linemen. Back in poles. Right. Get across the face. Yeah. Get across the center. Yeah. Yeah. Cross the center line. You got to cross the center line. You can do that with a first level, second level, or third level defender, right? Iowa State, one of the best things that they have done with their, their three safety concept, whether this is on purpose or, or not on purpose. And the three, three teams have done the same thing is it's one of the only teams that can handle GT and dart very effectively. Why? They have more people off the ball in which they can cross the center line of the, of the offense. Like that is a mathematical and geometric like fact of the game of football. A non-movable object went from one side to the other. When I mean non-movable job, I mean non-movable coverage human being, an offensive lineman, if I'm being simple. Right, an offensive lineman move from one side to the other. So unless you're just better, you have to find a method to do the same thing, right? And so where it gets complicated, and it's where it's not just like checkers, and it's much more like chess nowadays, is that there are structures that have removed themselves from the formation, i.e., teams have gotten spread out, or they they have created structures whereby one side is spread out, one side is other. I think the hardest thing is like 12 personal slot formations, 11 personal slot formations, right? And they're taking those movable objects from geometrically challenging locations onto the other side. Perfect example, you're playing tight front, you get a, a slot wing set or an eye, uh, an eye style set, right? So really it's eye near and they're just in the gun and they're running it. Some people call it pair twins, wing twins, slot twins, right? They run same side counter G use. They're pulling the off the ball players, a fullback or you, they're running it to the open side. Well, before it was a really easy answer because you knew geometric, like you knew arithmetically if they're in a slot set, you're going to match the numbers. And then I got to get one guy from one side of the ball to the other. But with the way the football's thought of nowadays, they don't think in their mind, people don't think in their mind that like, the tight front stuff, for example, the overhangs in the defense end up outside of the number one at the end of the down. So you got to find a methodology either by changing the rotation to run support, which means you could have issues on the same side RPO game. Watch North Carolina play Texas A&M in the Orange Bowl and watch a team just get annihilated by slot sets. And I have a ton of respect for Coach Bacon, a ton of it. But watch a team get annihilated by slot formations. Watch it. No comment. Right? Watch it. Right. Watch Jimbo Fisher consistently do that to football teams. Right. Watch teams in the NFL who run same side gap or saying, you know, or or flip zone run game. And they're taking guys from side of the ball the other like they know how to do math. And I say that very emphatically because sometimes football coaches, this is where they they derive this idea of kiss that they can't. They don't have to critically think because everything works. It's just how you do it. You just that's not you solve it with pursuit, coach. Like that's not an answer to the problem. And I think what happens is those those uh, gaps get really like a lot bigger because of the RPO world, because there's much more opportunity for explosive vertical games than like in the perfect example than in the wishbone air when they pitched it in the vertical. Like the the explosive was twelve yards. Like that's an explosive pitch. That's an explosive football play. Yeah. Well, and, and also you, the thing where defensive coordinators used to solve problems was that you could guess you could say, yeah. all right, well, this snap, I'm going to bring the nickel off the corner or off the edge to the open side. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to change the numbers. And now they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to do this thing called throw a glance. And so what and it's done is it's just at least 15 yards. You, and you used to be able, you used to be able to get your way out of problems. You can't do that anymore. You can't do that. Like you have to be able to be, and there are multiple ways to do it. For example, I can give you the slot example. 
I could in the odd system. If I wanted to handle the RPO to the open side, pull the Jack linebacker, for instance, off the ball so he can fall with the indicator as he comes back because now it's like four down defense once again, right? Or three, three style defense. I got to take a guy who's on the ball and pull him off the ball. Another example to that same problem would be to say, okay, we're going to do the same thing, but now the guy who's high in the fit, some people call it foxing off the F, foxing off the U. When the U goes back and fit it like single gap space, and now he's going to cap the guy. Another example would be to play a strong side rotation space and say, like, throw the RPO, we can win the one-on-one. Like, I just gave you three examples of the same exact defense. And I've done this over and over and over again, right? But, like, the same thing. But structurally, you got to do math. Like, you got to do the math, right? Unless the personnel change. So this is why I talk structures when I game plan before I talk personnel. So to get to your point, because I think of football in this very arithmetic manner and geometric manner, right? And I think about the angles and the, and the numbers. I use the personnel on the board to find out, is this a king? Is this a rook or is this a pawn? After I move the piece, perfect example. I can get away with the Patriots are a great example. I'm going to give, I know I'm using NFL examples, but that's because like I'm giving a multitude of different methodologies by which you can think of the game based on the type of pieces you're running with. The Patriots are a great example. They've historically now over the last few years played really small to 12 personnel groupings. They've played in nickel. They stayed in nickel and they played three and six, like they played top down run support structures, either playing zone quarters or playing cover. They play a ton of cover two, right? Or playing buzz support defense. And it's thrown offensive coaches in the NFL for a loop because traditionally they match personnel, you match personnel, et cetera, et cetera. And so the way the entire identification process for the NFL changes, like everything guys, you know, um, like everything in the offensive coordinator's mind, the quarterback's mind and the center's mind, like in the offensive mind changes and so what's happened is they've made them teams want to run the ball arithmetically. Well, the way that Bill Belichick, because he has the ability to drafts strategically and the way he fits his run game, he's able to two gap the ball and use the geometric and leverage advantages that he has to box the ball back to the players that he can make plays with. Right. So without getting in the weeds, the bottom line is he changed the arithmetic via his personnel. So I think of the structures in the, the defense, and then I say to myself, is this guy like a, uh, the, the methodology, is he a zero, is he a plus one, or is he a negative one? Because if I got a defensive lineman, for example, particularly an interior, let's say I got a nose, then I know like if you run base bump and you come off the guy, like he's going to make the play if I keep it in the tackle box, I'm going to box the ball a bunch. The perfect example is Albert Hainsworth. I coached with a guy who played in front of Albert or behind Albert Hainsworth for eight football seasons, played in a linebacker. They had Albert Hainsworth and Javon Kurse. They played Tampa two versus 21 and 12 personnel teams. He told me this. The only thing you had to do, Jim Schwartz did at the time, was keep the ball in the box because Albert Hainsworth would tackle it. Yeah, that's the famous story about letting Hainsworth get reached and just get vertical. Uh, 100%, right? And so you could change the methodology of what you did where the arithmetic doesn't make sense and the geometry doesn't make sense because of that personnel. But without understanding the prior components, like you can't do that. 
So jumping for me from a game planning perspective, going again from the strategic, the philosophical ideology down to the granular taskable thing of what I'm doing, my tactics, what I call and how I call it are based on, can I be sound? And then does my personnel allow advantages or disadvantages? But the first one has to be true because if there's, if there's, uh, even somewhat equal talent, or they find ways in which to get away from that personnel. Perfect example, you got a defensive line, you got Jadavion Clowney, and he's always on the right, and I run to the left. Jadavion Clowney has done nothing. Yep. So I can say, okay, they're not running at Jadavion Clowney first. Well, structurally, I need to say I need to put everybody on the left because they're going to run to the left because Jadavion Clowney is on the right. That is how I think. That's how I plan, if that makes sense. We all think of Huddle as an analysis tool, but there are so many more opportunities for efficiency as coaches. Beyond great analysis tools, you can have hands-free capture, automated stat breakdown, and engage your fans in even more ways through live streaming. Huddle is for everyone, whether that's the athlete, the coach, or even the fans. Huddle's athletic department package is the single solution to power your entire program. Go check out huddle.com slash coachvast to learn how Huddle can elevate your program. Again, that's huddle.com slash coach Vass. What's your method to get to that? So you've gone yeah. from this big picture stuff to how you arrived. Talk to me about you're done your hit charts. Where, where are you? Where's next on your step to get there? Yeah. My next thing on the step is I'm going to actually watch the individual cutups, right? So I'm going to go from like, I've gone, I've done the run hit chart. Um, so I've, and I will watch through the hit chart, right? The reason I watch the run hit chart stuff is I want to see the, how the combinations are, right? Um, I can usually get a feel for that as a coordinator um, by watching it, like just watching it again without some of that tape. But it's good to get a more granular view of like, okay, the linebackers, our linebackers are going to be bossed over a lot. And so they're going to bang back in the run game. So what are the things that handle that issue, right? Can I play split safety defense and what front structure or what presentation causes them issues, right? It, are they IDing boxes or are they IDing overhangs, right? Cap space versus uncapped space. Or are they IDing, IDing the box, right? So I have these frames of reference in which to do so. Once I do that, I'm going to go through the cutups and I'm going to sort so it's all real plays, meaning it's not red zone, it's not third down, it's not end of game, it's not those things, right? It's your base normal down distance with something called par downs, right? Pass and run downs. And I'm going to watch through those cutups, but I'm going to watch them from the perspective of trying to make the offensive coordinator's call sheet. Because now I have his philosophy. Right. So what I've done is I've gotten his philosophy and I've gone and I've looked at the things that matter to me as a defensive coordinator, which are what are the tells by backfield sets? What are the tells by broken formations? What are those type of tells? Right. Now I'm going to watch him buy down and distance and personnel. And I'm going to say to myself, what is he calling and why? Because I know his philosophy. So I know how he how he thinks. How do I recreate the call sheets? Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to do my best to recreate his call sheet. Right? Because I'm not a philosophically, like I'm not a play the play operation guy. Like I don't play the play because what happens when you play plays all the time is one, when you are wrong as a coach, the kids have no answers. They can come off the field 
and the kids can't critically think. You know what I mean? Because you have no teaching, like you have no foundational thought process of teaching. It's just like, hey, play this, play this way. And then you rep it that way a hundred times, which by the way, for anybody who's done it that way, requires a ton of staffing or a ton of work. Because if it's not exactly right by your scout team, and it never will be, you're not getting the exact look you need for the kid. Because the kid's seeing it in pictures, right? You're giving the kid memorization pictures is what you're doing. You're saying when you get this look and this time, you're going to get this play at this location. So when it's not exactly like he needs to be and he doesn't get those reps, he screws it up and he can't fix it. That's very different than have a foundational philosophy of how you play defense and then working off those variables in which you play pedagogically to consistently play good defense and not just like, I played that play perfectly, in my opinion. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's kind of neither here nor there. That's a philosophical opinion of mine. Right. And I've been in both systems. I've been in, in both systems. So you mentioned, you mentioned that you said, well, we look at an offensive coordinator and we figure out, is he reading the overhangs? Is he doing this? Is he doing that? Yeah. How are you, de- how are you determining that? What's your process for determining uh, what are some things that you do to try to determine what they're doing? Is it just, you know, they're reading, are you, are you, are you, are you tagging things? Are you, are you keeping a notepad and saying, okay, he read this guy, he read that guy. How are you okay. inventorying yeah. no, I that? I see. Organizationally, right? Like from yeah. a, like what I'm doing physically, um, as I'm watching the tape, right? When I watch the, the run hit chart, like I'll watch the sideline copy as well as the end zone copy. And I'm going to say, particularly in the, the, in the run game, I'm going to say, okay, are they, are they looking at guys to or from the back? Right. So are they able to throw RPOs opposite the running back? Because if they're running traditional RPOs to the side of the back, like guys, there's pretty simple structures in which to handle it nowadays. If they're throwing RPOs opposite the running back or in pistol, that's a much different story. Right. So are they running RPOs two away from the back? Okay. And what what methods do we have to handle that? Cutting it up, yada, 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 playing out gap, et cetera, et cetera. Are they looking at pre-snap or post-snap space? I do that by drawing. I draw and I watch. So I'm I'm writing down what I think I'm seeing the quarterback do. The easiest way I do that is I find as many structures where there looks like pre-snap capped space and i see how often at the snap of the football when that guy moves if they handed the ball off or not and then you start guessing i'm I, i'm sure after you've got a feel for it like what i like to do is i'd like to take a game that i necessarily didn't break down now obviously you have to be a certain part of the season but okay let's see i've watched four games i i think i know what he's doing let's watch this fifth game and see mm-hmm. if i can start guessing hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's where I'll, sometimes I'll turn the tape off again. Like, again, I'll turn off the, I'll turn off the, like, I do that a lot. I do turn that off the overlays. Like, I'll turn off the overlays because like, I love information. Like I'm an information guy. I know that like, I don't have all the information on the football field at the same time to be able to call a play within like 10 seconds, which is what you're doing. By the time you're thinking and you're like going through and then you're sitting, like you're doing it within 10 seconds. Right. And so processing that information has to come without those overlays because you don't get those overlays in the game or they're delayed or or it's delayed. So 
You, a, exactly. play, a play happens and there's a five second delay before somebody tells you it's 21 personnel. 100%. Or you're and looking, you all right, is it, is it on a hash? Because we did a lot of stuff. We used to bring a lot of field and boundary yeah. pressures. Yeah. So I was like a meerkat. I'd pop up and be like, are we on a hash? Yep. You know, that takes a few seconds to, to figure out. And then, you know, some of that too comes down to, and I say this because, again, how you call the game becomes really important on how you philosophically break the game down. If you're playing, if you're in the booth, for example, and you can see those things yourself and you're calling the game based on what you see come out in the formation, right? Then you're going to have a different structure by how you watch the tape, right? Because you're going to look at those formation structures and like, you're going to write down, okay, why off two by two, Y and T together? What am I doing? Why off three by one, Y and T apart? What am I doing? Why, you know, like you're going to write that down and each of those things are going to have individual calls because you are calling it based on what you're seeing. If on the other hand, you're packaging systems together or you're playing against offenses because offensive coaches are smart too, that fucking move, excuse my language, but that move, right? So you can't just like look at the formation structure and be like it's 11 personnel Y off and the back and the wire together because they moved and you've already made the call. Then you got to provide systems for the kids to get in and out of calls. Well, that's another layer of thought because then you got to be able to build those systems together in a manner that your kids understand and that you understand, right? And those, to me, that's game planning. It's taking the things that you do and then building those systems week to week, putting the calls together. Guys, in my personal opinion, calling a football game when you always know what they're lined up in isn't that hard if you have a defensive system because you're going to call what you feel is you feel is best geometrically and arithmetically based on what they're doing. How do you match the numbers? How do you handle the angles? And how do you use your personnel to your advantage? And you're going to call if you have a system, you're going to call what you have in your defense. You know, against 11 personnel, you like these – you know, 15 calls, these 20 calls, right? And then you get down and you're like, okay, on third downs, I'm calling these calls. So really it's only 10 calls. And then you get down the position of what, you know, the special situation is like seven calls. Okay. When it's hard is when the offense moves. Or the other example I give is when the offense has enough understanding of what you do that you have to be able to make choices and decisions on how the offense is IDing you. Because like getting the same structure and playing like cover one and showing cover one every snap isn't gonna work. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's how do I build those systems and structures that I have in my defensive system to handle what the offense is doing week to week. Right. And so from from a tassel perspective, I am writing down, looking at those overhangs for the RPO explosives. Right. And I'm trying to take out like I take out those outliers I talked to you about. That's why I watched the tape again. Right. Before without anything on it, because I'll take out some of those outliers. FIB. Right. That FIB fastball play. I'm going to take that out because that to me is a separate category of thought. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to look at those and say, what do I, what do I see structurally? Is it every time the Y is on the ball, they're treating it like it's a 10 personnel formation. And every time the Y is off the ball, it's a two back formation. Is it every time the back is to the boundary 
right? And I'm using a combination of my form hits and my run hit chart. Every time the back of the boundary, they're throwing the ball 90% of the time, right? And every time the backs of the field, they're, they're running the ball in its zone read bubble. How many teams have you played that do that? Right. And then I'm thinking about what are the systems that I have available to me to get my kids in and out of the calls that they need to on a consistent basis for what they did. So how do we make them left handed? It's getting in and out of those systems. It's having checks or having organizational structures that allow you to when it's three by one, like four strong, what some people call a loaded set, it's a loaded formation to get in the set of calls that you want to. And then when it's weak, three by one week to get in soft calls that you want to, but when it's a two by two formation, it'd be in something else. For some people, that's an entire defense right there. Yeah. That's like an entire game plan. Well, in my opinion, you have to have the systems to get in and out of those things, or you have to call it off the cuff and you got to look at it. Well, in my opinion, a good offensive coordinator doesn't let you do that consistently. You've talked a lot about what you've, what you look at, how you look at it, how you yeah. evaluate it. And you've given a lot of examples that you pull and, and that, that you'll look at. Yeah. But beyond, you know, giving tips to your kids that, hey, look, if the back is away from the Y and the Y is between the guard and the tackle, what we call a sniffer, yeah. it's going to be a split zone. But if he's outside the tackle and they're split, it's going to be, you know, buck sweep or pin pull or whatever. That's all well and good to have tips for your kids. And there are some people that play over cover four and then they tell their kids, Hey, be ready for this play. And that's the extent of where that scouting information goes, which is fine. If you're, if you have, if you believe in that, but my whole thing yep. is, even within a base defense, if you're let's take tight four, that's the big one. I just did a whole thing on it. You want to build in things to cheat and, and, and right. not necessarily because you want to, but if you're seeing gun strong three by one, why off? There are some defenses where you're going to have to do something you or, yes. or just be physically superior, which yes, if that's the case, then feel free to like, turn this off and yeah, you're yeah. good. But Let's talk, give us an example of where you're taking that, that those, those tips and you're turning them into actionable. Yes. So I'm taking things, I'm taking those ideas, right. And I'm turning into the actual tactics that the players are going to use. And then I got to use verbiage to get that translated. Right. So they can do the task. Perfect example. I'm using a run hit chart, right. We know we're going to play a lot of, let's say tight four. Right. And we know that when the Y and T are, together it's a tilted run, running set they're running a bunch of tilted runs okay and we know we're playing a bunch of type four and the way that we play type four i'm not saying that this is the way to play type four i'm not even saying this is how i play type four i'm giving the example right let's say the way we play type four the strong side overhang the star the sam is always in the run fit it's strong side rotation run fit defense right it's not sling fits and it's not out gap okay so it's strong side rotation run fit defense well guys when it's Y in like it's three by one and the Y and the T are together, you don't have a gap issue because it's always strong side rotation run support. So you're able to slam the fit in a C gap with the backer, right? And it plays like a pirate fit, okay? Because you have enough bodies and they're not going to be able to run the ball into the boundary because of the width of the four I and the jack linebacker, the outside backer to that side. That's a structural thing. 
what I mean by that is the, you know, um, if you're playing a strong side rotation, eight man facing run support, right? That means that that, that linebacker is lined up in that 40, 41, whatever you want to call it. When the, when he gets the wise thing where he's at, depending on how you fit it, he's going to run through the C gap, like run through his face, run through his face and out his ass to be colloquial, right? He's going to close the door on that C gap. Okay. And the reason I'm talking about it this way, someone people say, well, coach, we don't play it that way. Well, we talk about the granularity in your defenses. Like this is where I can give you eight methodologies and how you're going to have to have eight different answers. So I'm giving you one answer right now. I'll give you two in the same defense with the same personnel grouping and the same formation. I can do that. Okay. So that's one example, right? I throw, I run in the C gap and there's so much width that they want to run outside zone into the boundary. If you're a field boundary defense or if you're a mint defense, not just a tight defense, but a mint defense away from the passing strength, right? Cause that's different. Okay, they're not going to be able to do because you're not the ball back unless you lose, right? Unless you structurally lose, and that that is obviously an issue. But there is going to be a, a C gap area issue when it's a two by two tilted set, and you know they're running everything back to the C gap because it's strong side rotation run support. So you have a C area problem in the run game because the weak side safety is out of the run fit with the way in which you're saying it's like post safety defense. So now we either got to boss and bow our backers, meaning we got to move the backers over, okay, based on 2 by 2 3 by one That's one methodology. Or I need to make a heavy call or a reduction. So now I got a four or five technique to handle that C area issue. And if it is true inside zone, if it's like mid zone, let's say, not true inside zone, but mid zone, right, and they're not getting heavy combinations, I might play a four because I – want this i want the combinations to work the way they do right so i'm going to get the single blocks in the surface but if they're playing like heavy combination duo style run game i might play a shade nose a one technique and not even have to a two eye because i gotta create width on the surface i gotta create width i gotta create single blocks i gotta squeeze the space so i've just talked through arithmetic and geometry Right. In the same concept. And I said, based on my hit chart, that when the Y and T relationships to the field, because we're playing strong side rotation run support, we're not going to have to move that front. But when it's two by two and that guy's into the boundary, we got to play a heavy four. We may got to play, we might have to be able to play a five and play it like a kick front. And we may have to play even with a five and a shade. Right. Depending on the way in which the run game works. Well, then you have to put that together with what else are they doing? It may be that in this strong side rotation run support set, because we get that variable, okay? But the next problem becomes, how do I handle the nub flank issue that we talked about before in type four, right? Like I'm going through these variables in my mind as I'm doing it, because in my philosophy that I just gave you, right? So. The answer might be I might play a drop call, meaning I rotate the defense, right? We're going to play some form of man match quarters or zone match quarters, some form of quarters to the field, right? Because remember, we're still trying to handle those issues so we can keep the backers in the box and do the same thing because who's out of the run fit now? The corner is the strong side rotation run support. We may be saying that's not how we play defense. We may be a fall fit based operation. So I may have to pull the jack off the ball. Well, now i got the same C area problem because the corner has to fit the edge of the defense. 
right? So I got the same Sierra issue. Well, I could slam the jack in the sea gap, or I could put the same four technique and make it into even bubble space again. That was just going through three formation structures, Y and T to the field, Y and T to the boundary, and a slot formation set. With one call and one way of doing things. I could give you the same call in meant four, and I could say that we're a stack track fallback team, and I could say we're keeping the strong side overhanging out of the run fit, and the weak side safety is a protector. Dave Aranda at Baylor does it this way, right? Because their idea is the reverse umbrella methodology by which we play really thick up front so we can two-gap the blocks, and we're going to make them hand the ball off, and three or four yards are a good thing. That's very different from the methodologies of someone, say, like Don Brown, who's going to run through gap space, right? And I use those examples not because I don't want to tell you what I do, but because I'm going to do multiple of those variables from year to year within my system based on what I need, right? And then I'm going to determine what my guys can do from a personnel perspective because guess what, guys? My guys might not be able to play fours like they can. So they may not be able to handle the combination like on a, on a strong scoop, on a duo-style scoop. I might have to play with more width. Well, if I'm going to play with more width, guys, and play more gapped out, like play more in the gap, either need to run through to shrink the space or I better be finding a different way to make sure that the combinations get off and I fall away from it. That is just one example of a multitude of ways in which as I'm watching that tape and looking with the variables that I have in my defense, I'm plusing or minusing and make an example. I'll give you another example, a really easy one, okay, in my opinion, right, that's overlooked. And I learned this probably the most when I was at Berkeley because we played a lot of these different variables. Let's say you're an even space run fit team. Let's say that you are um, you play uh, man free. Just give an example. You're an over under front defense, okay? And they're not an RPO team, and you're not worried about it, right? When they're going to run inside zone and run the bubble and stuff like that, you can handle it. But they're pretty good up front leverage wise, and so when the Y and T relationship. When the Y and T are together and they're running that inside zone and that power, you want to have the three techniques set to the Y, okay? And you want to be in a, a, a two-eye or a shade nose away. Well, it could be when he's in snug or he's in sniff, they're running like gap. But when he's in like a seal position, they're running zone cut. So every single time that he's in a, a, a snug or sniff position, I'm playing with a four eye or moving to a four eye and I'm moving to a shade nose to squeeze that space. But every time that he's in the seal spot, maybe I'm playing a, a traditional three and a two eye. And maybe when they're divided, I know divided sets are divided sets are in relation to where the back is. So when the back's wide, they're running outside zone. And I know the type of personnel I got up front is like I'm at Wisconsin. And not like I'm at TCU. Big dudes. So am I going to play, am I going to say, hey, we're going to play super, super loose and try to cut the ball off? Hell no, we aren't. We can't do it. I might say we might play lag from shaded alignments. So I might shade those alignments. They run outside zone. I get vertical knockback and I hang the combinations. On the other hand, I could be the same situation and I could be at TCU or I could be at, you know, a place where I got smaller people, right? 
I'm just giving examples where I got smaller athletes. So it may be I might stay in two, I might line up in twos. And then based on that relationship, I might slant two or away from the wire the T relationship. And coaches will say, well, coach, like everything's single high space, you're all gapped out. Just run, excuse my language, but just run through the gap. Well, it's not that simple because you can't leverage the run game in relation to that relationship. Are you, if I run through the gap space, but I'm playing lag, I'm running through the same space. On the contrary, if I'm falling back, but I'm padding back in the run game, i.e. when the tip of the pad goes away from me, I'm stepping to the next man over and ricocheting, I have a problem again. So if you can't put those things together within your system and then knowing when to do one or the other based on the personnel you got in the grass, you have a real problem. And what makes it exponentially more challenging is, guys, most teams are going to run the same thing and they're going to run RPOs two away from the back. And so then you get in situations, for example, you're getting same side counter G. GY, and you're a really sound defense. You got same side kind of GY, and you're in a, a four down front defense. You got to find ways to co- uh, cross the center line. Well, at the same time, they're running a bunch of zone cut where those methodologies of crossing the center line, they might get you washed. So you got to go back and forth in, within your defense of like, do I try to guess or do I handle the issues as they come methodologically or do I use a system to figure out how I can cheat, which is right. the indicator. Right. So that's when I might build a system. Here's, here's, here's one more example I'll give. Here's a pressure example. Really easy pressure example, in my opinion. Okay. So there's a, a pressure idea called blitzing the fit. So for example, let's say you're a single high pressure team, right? And let's say the way in which you like to do your eye control. Because I haven't even talked about matching patterns, guys, which is a whole other conversation in my opinion. Okay. Same methodology like we talked about the past game, but like, so it's something that at most levels in high school, I don't think has to get dealt with in the same manner, in the same way, right? Some places it does, but not everywhere. Um, but let's say I'm blitzing the fit. So let's say that means that when I'm a, when they're in Y off, I'm playing as a two-back fit, so it's lever, spill, lever, run game, okay? So to blitz the, spit, blitz the fit, I want to blitz the spill player. Because that means the lever players, the overhangs, and the defense have leverage on the comment on the Y, the movable object, the Y off or the second back, right? As he falls back, because we're a fallback fit team. That's what I just said that we're going to do. If you're a key fit team, it's not the same thing, right? So we're gonna blitz whoever that spill player is in relation to the Y. So let's say we're blitzing the the will linebacker, and the will linebacker, let's say he travels to the Y. Okay, so I'm blitzing the fit. That way the kid's eye control is the same, their body mechanics the same, but I'm changing the surface by adding a guy into the uh, – adding a, a off-the-ball player on the ball and probably doing something to create overlap at the first level of defense to play the second level, okay? Well, I know based on my run hit chart, for example, that when Y and T are together, they're running all the zone cut stuff, so it's easy. But when they're apart, okay, they're running split zone. Well, where at the end of the down is the Y located? He's not located on the side that he aligned. So if you try to want to try to blitz the fit, you don't want to blitz the wheels alignment. You want to blitz the back's alignment. Because at the end of the down, the back is telling you what the indicator is. And then you got to have a methodology when the back moves. So you might have a process whereby the you're going to blitz based on the back. And if the back moves, you're either going to do one, decide to reset it if you feel like you can, or two, it's set and you got to re-rotate the defense. Well, there's three ways in which we can rotate the defense. We can spin it, 
with the defensive backs, right? We could slide the box and make a trade call to change who the guy is that's the spill player at the end of the down, or we could do nothing, which at times works too, and is a lot of times it's simpler on the kids' minds. So I'm just taking one pressure and I've made it two, possibly three pressures, and then you gotta figure out the outlier. What's the outlier? Well, coach, they're in 11 personnel, but not every single time is the Y gonna be in the corner of the formation. So what do you do when they break the formation? Do you get out of it completely? Do you pressure based on another variable? Maybe it's based on two away from the running back. Maybe, maybe it's field boundary. Maybe it's still the Y location because the Y will come in and reload and they'll run the same place. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That really big methodology I just did and making it granular. And I can call that sting check. And I can make it open side, closed side, et cetera, et cetera. Because I had a methodology of teaching by which I did. I didn't say I'm going to run this random pressure. And I didn't say it was for a random reason. I kept it within the methodology of my defense. Because at the same, you know what I'm saying? Because at the, at the same time, I'm not going to say to do that if you're a 3-4 pressure system. Like you're running yeah. fire. Like that's not the same thing. No. So last question I'm going to ask you. And that was a fantastic answer, by the way. A lot of really good stuff in there. And, and, you know, not that you can, you're going to take exactly what he's saying. Cause these are, these are all hypotheticals, but it's, it's important to see how someone thinks, not necessarily what they think, but how they're going about it and, and changing how they're approaching a problem. And sometimes the best situation may be, you mentioned at the end, do nothing because mm-hmm. this is, you know, the four or 40 thing. Like they do this twice. If I had a bunch of robots or if I was playing Madden and I could audible, I'm smart enough to know this. Like the whole thing, it's not what you know, it's what the kids know. Well, when you're playing a video game, you can tell everybody what to do because you have a controller in your hand. Sure, that would be a great check. But again, it goes back to, is this worth it? I was working for somebody and they played a team where the Y was in four different locations. He was in a sniffer. He was outside the tackle. He was on the ball or he was actually stacked behind the tackle. And every time the back was away and the Y was stacked, like, and it was clear right behind the tackle, it was buck sweep. The problem was that every time meant twice. Is that worth having a call for something that happened twice when you've done a six game breakdown? And that's where you just have to go. That's where you have to ask yourself, maybe. If I have a smart, if and, and this is where how you structure a defense. And again, I don't want to go on this, but if one guy's making the calls and he's really smart and really heady, sure. But there were years when I was at Sarah where I'd say, you know, we did this last year. We can't do this this year because we have two junior linebackers who this is their first year playing varsity football. That's too much. Or conversely, that kid's a senior. He played as a, he's a sophomore. Let's do it anyway. Those are the decisions that you have to make and that you have to take back to your program and go through now. And and to put case in point, like that one kid might be able to make the call and get people lined up, but can they do that? And then can they execute at the high level that you're asking to? Because guys, like we're talking about all these pre-snap variables and then when the ball snap, like we're playing football. So not as it's not like I, I drew the line on the board, right? I think there are, and I, I have both been a victim of this, but I've also gotten, I think, a lot better over the years pedagogically of like, guys, you have to know the issues with your system and how you play it to know 
what can be taught consistently and what you teach within your defense. Another example for you would be like, I know that, like, like let's say you're going to be a big uh, Ripley's match team. You're going to play a bunch of cover three match, and then you're going to play a bunch of zone match quarters. You're going to play, you might play some zone automatics. You might play some traditional four, you know, cover four, cover three choices based on formations. You're not going to want to all of a sudden say, I'm going to play a bunch of brackets just because I saw brackets and it might have answers to your system. Because guess what, guys? Can you get it all taught and get it all done and fix the issues at hand? And if you're doing that, can you also handle all the other variables that happen within the defense and then know how it fits within the structure that you play? That defines the answers, the lenses in which you can use. If right. you are very, you know I mean? If you're a, uh, like, for example, if you're a man match, um, two back run fit football team, doing all the stack track fallback stuff I just talked about does not work because the eye control doesn't work. And at the same, at the same uh, component, if you're running through all the time because you're padding back, because let's say you're playing like a Larry Johnson style of getting vertical at the snap of the football, right? And let's say you're in a pass-heavy league. Falling back all the time isn't probably the methodology you want to work. Well, playing split safety defenses that require you to fall back all the time, probably not what you should be doing. And if you do, you need to find another answer to the issue. Right. That is taking the methodologies that you have and what you're using and putting it in that game plan. And let's go back to your previous point, and then I have one last question for you. The the we're gonna play match quarters and we're gonna play replays based on surface. A, yeah. A, a tale as old as time. Something that's been around for a long time. Yeah. One of the best defenses in the country, two of the best defenses in the country, in fact. The two, the two best defenses in the country last year got rid of that concept. And you might say, why? It's really good. It is because really good. Because it's really good. hard. Well, but what happens when everybody knows you do that and they motion every snap? And this is the question that you have to ask yourself is, and, and when I do these things, and I, I'm guilty of this too, when I tune into clinics, I, I, I want answers. I want I want just a, just a, yeah. just an answer that he can take. But here's the problem: I don't know what your kids can do. Neither does Dante. Dante's a really smart guy, maybe the smartest guy I've ever met. But he he's, he doesn't he doesn't have a crystal ball. He doesn't know what your guys can do, and so that's why we give so many options to say like, is playing tight forty three a great call? Sure, but if the guys that are in charge of changing your rotation strength in the secondary aren't very bright, then it's not a good call because the problem isn't if everybody's playing cover four instead of playing cover three, it's when one guy's playing cover four and one guy's playing cover three. That is the problem. You mentioned in your career, you started off at Perry High School. Did I get that right? Perry High School in Arizona. You went to Upper Iowa and then you went to the the big time, as as we say. Mm And you went into a space where there was a lot more people doing a lot more things and you were using different video systems. We don't really want to talk about that, but you saw different ways of doing things. You got an education in the classroom and on the field and in the office. You went to a couple of division one schools and now you're back uh, at you're, you're in college, but you're in the NAIA level. Okay, I got that right. I always get nervous. I'm I'm bad with the who's NAIA and Division Three. 
and you're you're back on huddle what are some things that you picked up uh, along the way working at division one schools where you weren't in charge you know you were not in charge in those places when you were at upper iowa i believe you were the defensive coordinator but then you're you're in a situation where it's not your show and you're back doing all the grunt work what are some things that you've picked up along the way that now you're back to huddle and you're back in your role that you're telling your guys that are doing all the tagging or if you're still doing all the tagging what are some things that you've picked up that you now are going to use huddle differently yeah um so probably one of the first things is be, you know, people say be efficient with your work, right? Um, but a lot of people don't know what that means. I think one of the biggest things that I have found is organizationally, like the better that you can organize your folder system within Huddle so that when you watch tape, you're watching it the same way. And I, I, again, I'm not telling you to do it a particular way. But if you have a way in which you organize your stuff, keep it consistent. If you have a particular way you organize your tagging, if a kid, if a guy you're working with tags it wrong, tell him to tag it all wrong. Because at the end of the day, what matters is that consistency by which you're seeing the picture. Because you got to think about the kid. The kids are seeing the pictures. So if you consistently tell them that it's to the left and it's to the right, but everybody thinks it's to the left and it's to the left. Right. And the same thing when you talk about efficiency and things like tagging, things like, um, you know, making cut ups. If you organize it in a fashion by which you're you're consistent in doing the same process over and over again, when something happens, because it's going to happen every day, you can fix it all at once. You can fix it all at once. I like to use um, once I'm done. This is one thing I do like to do. When I'm done breaking things down, I put it all into an Excel file. And the reason I do that is because I can like copy paste like large amounts of data. Like this is all supposed to be, you know, gun strong and it's all labeled gun weak. Well, I can find the gun strongs within that particular game and label them all gun weak at the same time and re-import it and I'm done. Right? Which is stuff that in other video systems you can just do automatically. Where in Huddle it may be a little bit different at times, you know. Um, Which I used to other- hate, but but here's the thing with Huddle is so here's the pro so here's the reason why it is the way it is because i complained about that i've for 10 years i'm like why can't you just do an autofill feature yeah here's why because the beautiful thing about huddle is everybody can tag at the same time and it's not a problem like some video systems yes like i remember you used to have to with uh, a video system that will remain nameless like you could tag offline then you had to bring it back online 100 to change it but the problem is with with systems like this, there's no undo button. Yes. So if you change exactly. a thousand tags, like I always like, what you know, why 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 can't I, you know, if I if I if I name the opponent wrong, why do I have to paste it seventy times? Yeah. It's protecting you. It is from erasing is. large amounts of data, which you cannot <laughs> yeah. get back. Correct. So be careful what you wish for. And this is coming from the guy that was like, every time I was on the phone with him, like, so when he, because huddle they uh you know dv sport or i'm sorry dsv i was one of their best features was the autofill well the problem is when you're in a cloud-based system where everybody can go in and edit that's if if you got the wrong person has editing capabilities that's not good 
Oh, I've been there too. The other thing I would say too is, um, you know, I thought from a from like a tassel perspective, I thought the formation hit charts. You don't, they don't need to be super complicated, guys. They don't need to be like, uh, like I said, they don't need to be flank. They do this and pro. They do this. They need to be structures of football that work with your system that you're running. If you don't care about pro slot because you don't call a defense based on pro spot, because let's say you're not matchup. Like you're playing tight four and you're not giving slot checks. I'm just giving an example. Or you're in high school and don't know what a slot check is. You might, you might not. I didn't know for a long time. Like, don't label, like, don't start doing a form hit chart and be like, I saw Alabama put pro and slot, so I'm going to put pro and slot. You're wasting your time because you don't have anything to do with the information. The information yeah. has no impact on you, right? But if let's say you're a man match defense and you're going to go corners over every time they go slot, and then you got to handle, handle issues like they go tempo and it's slot and you want to be in split safety defense. Like those are issues within your system that you have to be able to handle. Those are the outliers we talked about. Then, yeah, you need to have a system of, uh, of labeling pro and slot in your formation hit chart. So think about how you think about the structures of your defense and make reports or label based on those things. Right. So have a column set that says that says, um, you know, form family and in it. You go two by two, you go three by one, you go pro, you go slot, right? And then on another call, let's say you're a Y on Y off team. Let's say you call the defense that way. You teach the, the structures. Think about what you teach to the kid. Then you need to label Y on, Y off, because it's going to change what you do. But if you don't care, don't waste your time on it. I see, I've seen too many people, and I've done it myself, where you're wasting all your time. You're like, oh, my God. I saw such and such label it such and such way, but because we talked big picture, you philosophically don't use it for anything. It's just wasting your time. You're like, yeah, I labeled it Y and Y off, but I don't call my defense in relation to that. It means nothing to me. I don't look at defense look that way. You may only look at it based on the passing strength. You may only look at it based on the run strength, right? You may be a field boundary team. Those are the things that matter. If what matters to you, for example, is if, if the if the back's location doesn't matter to you because nothing you call matters, then by all means, label it gun strong and weak, all that stuff. You need that, in my opinion. Like that's the basics of kind of understanding. But don't get all enamored or don't get in the weeds of like, is the back to the field or the back to the boundary? Like, for example, I'll tell you right now, I don't do I do hardly anything based on field boundary. I, I will say this on camera because I haven't done it since I've coached. Like, I have had the decision-making process in college football I or in high school ball. I, personally, as a defense coordinator and as a decision-maker, don't play field boundary defense hardly at all. Okay? That is not philosophically how I play. So, you know what? Do you th I care very little about field boundary mechanics. Field boundary defenses do very little for me. But if you're going to play a bunch of field boundary defense, it matters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, in my that PSA. really important of efficiency. And, and my PSA with this is, well, one thing is for guys, and I have some friends that were at schools that had different video systems that had um, uh, servers and things like that. And my first yeah. thing I told them was tag everything from the offensive perspective in terms of hatch. And play direction yes. because that's how huddles reports are built but to that point i don't care 
Like one thing that drove me insane was when I got to St. Francis and I got to Sarah, everything was I left, I right in the formation name. I'm like, I don't care if it's I left or I right. It's diluting the data. And that's one thing that you have to decide before you start tagging to Dante's point. What matters to you? What's the framework you I tag gun strong and gun weak. And furthermore, if I'm in the middle of the field and the back is to the left, it's always gun strong. Why? Because how I align my defense is we're going to go to passing strength. And the rule is if it's two by two and it's balanced passing strength and it's the middle of the field, your nickel is to the left. Your we're, we were a four, two team. Your walked backer is to the right. So middle of the field gun strong. Is it the back is to the defensive left gun weak is if the back is to the, that is influenced by our scheme and how we do things. Exactly. If you're mm-hmm. a three, a three, two, six team or about ba- a completely balanced defense where you're Nate Woody and your overhangs are the same person. Our overhangs weren't, they weren't, mm-hmm. we were a four, two team. You, maybe mm-hmm. you care about that less, or maybe that's where you go left and right or whatever. But like, you know, yep. also use columns. How, how do I say this efficiently where it makes sense? Do work in waves. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is from, and I do it the opposite. Some people do it. Some people do it the other way. When I tag formations, I tag every little ugly nuance of everything. Gun weak trips, open flip, meaning the third guy is on the ball. Uh, X nasty. Because I can train anyone to separate to go gun week, gun week, gun week, gun week, gun week, gun week, X nasty, X nasty, you know, fill in those columns or export it to Excel and then export it or import back in. But I can't train everybody to see what I want to see. And it's impossible. In fact, a lot mm-hmm. of those things are judgment calls. And honestly, mm-hmm. if, if, if we're speaking frank here, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's X nasty this week. And then sometimes I'm like, nah, it's not. And the guy signed up at the same exact what position. Are they doing? But I realized they don't do anything. There was a team we played when I was at Sarah. Yeah. They lined up an X nasty, and it did not affect anything. It was just the X would come 100%. in, and it did, and it literally. But the first time we we tagged it, we ha- we had to know, we had to realize it didn't make sense. We exactly. tagged all the ugly little like, oh, the fullbacks up or whatever, and then combine everything. Or if you want to do it the other way around, which I don't think is good, I think it's better to do it all together. And then split off those columns because it's always easier to split than it is to combine. Like personnel, we t- and this is why for me we did personnel is like we we play a team we played a team they were a ten personnel team ninety percent of the time. However, who was the running back mattered. Yep. If it was one running back, it was wide wide run plays, pass mm-hmm. with five out. Mm-hmm. If it was another running back. It was inside plays and six-man protection. Mm-hmm. Not completely different offense, but th- different plays. And it's easier to go, hey, guys, combine all the 10 personnels and just make it 10 personnel. Then it is the tag it as 10 personnel. And then on Tuesday, think, oh, my God, I think I found something. And then you got to make a poor assistant. In my case, mm-hmm. Sarah was a guy who's – selling insurance for a living to be like, Hey, can you go back and watch 374 clips mm-hmm. and label who mm-hmm. the running back was? And then I got to worry about my life being threatened by his wife, you know? So like there, there's oh, a whole yeah. l- levels to this, 
So anyway, those are my PSAs with tagging. Anything else you want to mention with uh, kind of your rebirth back in the huddle? Yeah, um, I think the last thing I would say too is um, at at the end of it, right? Especially as a coordinator, I think, and I think this is less so at a smaller program. It might not be, um, but certainly more so at bigger places um, overall. In my opinion, you as the coordinator have to do something. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of people where like everyone else does the stuff and then they watch it. The problem is when you don't do any of it is that your perspective, like you said, is all in relation to what everybody else has seen it as. So you end up having to be really inefficient with your time. You're like, I didn't see it that way. And there's no conversation to be had. And so at the end of the day, because you're calling it, you have to see it in a particular manner that makes sense to you. That requires you to do something. That, whether it's part of your breakdown, whether it's, you know, you do one of the reports, you need to do something. Because when you're at the end of the line, right, when you're the one with the product and then you're looking at the product, like, ah, I don't like that. Not only do you have to a lot of times make people start all over, but you lose continuity within yourself, like within your program as a leader. In working with big pro programs, that may or may not be an issue because you may have a lot of turnover. But like when you're working at a staff like I am right now, giving people that responsibility requires you to have responsibility, not what well, I call the defense. Right. I think that's probably more important to staff continuity and efficiency across the board as a leader and a strategist than anything else. And I think right. that's what makes you efficient. And, and and I think you also have to prioritize what's important to you. So like for yeah. me, it's easy for me to memorize. Now I'll say this, when I did everything pre-huddle, I wasn't, I I could tell you every down and distance tendency because I had to do it all by hand. Mm -hmm. Now that's good and all, but I didn't get to watch a lot of, cause it was, it was hard to watch a protection. You don't end up watching when you're watching a DVD and you're going through and you, then you're having to draw. Yeah. You know, the stuff more, but it's a lot less information, but the, the problem, it's not a problem, but one of the obstacles, we'll say obstacles of technology is, you can look at more data, which means, and with a, a product like Huddle, more people can get involved. Now you're having to memorize off of a sheet of paper, which for me is a struggle personally. Mm -hmm. I that and that's why I call guys, and and this is just knowing yourself, and I definitely don't want to go on a tangent, but like, I am the rare auditory learner. Yeah. You tell me something, I won't forget it. But most people aren't like that; they need to read it. I mm -hmm. if you give me a list of stuff. It's the worst. So I, I know that about myself. And, and so look inward and then look at what you don't need to really necessarily have memorized that you can refer to a sheet. Good example is what are they going to do on second and long after a runner pass? That's easy to that's not something you need to memorize off the top of your head. You can have a place on your call sheet where you can write that down. Let somebody else do that. Mm -hmm. But if it's something like the hit chart, if you're building a game plan, you learn through your hands. You, you learn through typing. You learn through drawing. You learn through, I know a guy 
who is one of the best secondary coaches in the world. And on Sundays, he still draws their top routes. Yep. And he has GAs that sit there and sometimes are doing this. But because that's how he learns. Anyway. He, I, at the end of the day, he's the one who has to do it. Exactly. He has to get it taught, right? He has to get it taught. You have to get it taught. And when when that responsibility is on you, you don't want, in my opinion, pass that off to others. You want to bring others along within that process. But just putting it on others and then saying, well, it, it wasn't me. It was that guy. It's his fault. Like, that's not it. I could talk to you forever, my man. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited, Dante, that you are back in the world where we can talk to you more. Uh, if you guys have never seen Dante or never, I should have probably done this in the intro. I'm, I'm so bad at the traditional Sorry. podcast stuff, but like <laughs> guys follow Dante. He's going to be a star. I've been saying this ever since we talked on the phone the first time. It's now been what, four or five years ago. Something like that. Yeah. Thanks man for your time and good luck this season Thanks. and have fun and stay injury free. And uh, put that, put that uh, cost. What's your, what's, is it the otters? Yeah. Yes. How, okay, real quick. This is bonus time. This is like the yeah. bonus, the bonus fact for the yeah. guys who stay till the end. Nick Davis, head coach. He does. He puts on that costume, doesn't he? I've never seen him put on the costume. He told me he put on the costume. He's lying to me. I I very well, he very well, he's been here, so he was a, a GA here, and he was he's coached here before. I have no doubt, as the chief energy officer, that he's put on the costume. Well, that was my favorite thing. In fact, he used to tag me half the time by the end of it. At his last stop, he put he get dressed up. Was it I? I don't even, Rosie the was it Rose Holman or whatever. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. He would dress up no as the mascot and he would tag me because I, I was I was had I got a kick out of it. No so, doubt. Anyway, awesome program. I'm so happy for you and uh, thank you. Go Otters. Go Otters. I don't Otter know. I don't. I don't. I feel bad. I feel like there's people being gonna be watching this. Like, yo, we play them. Relax, but. Oh, it's well. Go Braves, Otter on. That's what we like to say. Go. What's that again? Go Braves, Otter on. Braves. Go Braves, Otter on. Well, so wait. So who is the mascot? Is it the Braves or the Otters? <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of funny. So we're quote unquote the Braves, right? But the Otters, the Ottawa mascot. Okay. Okay, so I'm not crazy. There's an Otter involved. Yeah. So the the the. Oh, you got me the, nervous for a second. I'm like, did I say well, the wrong mascot? You, I have to myself. So. Right, we say go Braves, right? Technically, it's the Braves. The reason it's the otter is the Ottawa Indian tribe. Okay, their spirit animal is the otter. That is their spirit animal. Okay. So we are the otters. Okay. Now it used to be just the Braves, but it's been the last few years. It's also been the otters. So it's go Braves, otter on, and we are the Ottawa otters. We're also the Ottawa Braves. Okay. So I, I was like, <laughs> I oh like my god, otters, did I get their mascot wrong? All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, Coach. Yeah. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you again to Dante Barti for coming on the show. Glad to have him back in this realm. Look out for him next week when we do the Q&A. Actually, this, well, yeah, technically this week, Saturday. Saturday morning. Look out for the rest of the year. We're going to have the in-season pods released to help you game plan also make sure to check out those coach two videos my videos as well as dante's and if you want that game planning game week practice plan call sheet course 
You don't have to purchase it. You just go to Underdog Fantasy. You sign up. You use the code VAS. Remember, you have to use the code VAS, and you can get it for free. I'll send it to you the next day. And for the rest of the courses, linktree.com slash coachvass, as well as everything else I got going on. Be on the lookout for the playback schedule. I actually went looking for high school games to do during the <laughs> between ad reads. So I'm so fired up about that. I will have more information, and you know where to find everything there and to find everything about the show and about what I got going on. You know what I'm going to say. Twitter at Coach Vass, the show's account at MDGA Podcast. And as you get your season started, never forget the quarterback can't see with tears in his eyes.